Remove your warm-up pants and get in the game, movie fanatics, and thanks ever so much for listening to the 38th drop on the bucket of Scoring at the Movies. For nearly a year and a half, we've been reviewing old sports films, and we always, always spoil them. I'm the guy who punts basketballs when he's mad and then quits on his team just when they're getting good, Ryan Ellis. And here's the very tall fellow who's only pretending to be dumb on his SATs, Chris Gregorio. We don't do SATs in Canada, but you would pretend if you did do them. Yes, pretend to be dumb. Yes. What does SAT stand for? See, the flaw in your intro, Ryan, I often can't find flaws in them, but in this case, you assume that I'm wearing pants to begin with, which is always a mistake around me, especially when I'm recording podcasts. you got to be comfortable. It's getting colder, though, now, so we have to wear full-on pants. No more shorts anymore. Just long johns? My track pants are kind of like long johns. Yeah, it's close enough. Well, let's open up your beer to help your brain. What is that over there? Even though this will release in November, we're recording it just shortly before Halloween. The day before, the in day fact. The day before. The wet day before the wet Halloween. So this is Hobgoblin Ale. I think I've basically run through most basketball-themed beers at this point. So anyway, I'm leaning into Halloween instead. That's fair. I could see what it set up there, but I didn't know what the context was. Now I get it. I wonder what that had to do with basketball. No, nothing to do with basketball, just Halloween. And in the spirit of Halloween, we are going to talk about the scariest of sports... Basketball is? <laughs> well, to should, a guy who's six foot four. <laughs> any athletics are pretty scary to me, but no. Corruption in amateur sports. Oh, yes, that'll be a big theme in this podcast. Blue Chips was released by Paramount 25 years ago on February 18th, 1994. I was 20 years old and four days at that point. <laughs> Useless trivia yet again. Can we, for every episode going forward, just <laughs> calculate my birthday? <laughs> yeah, it, it, we're just going to cite it relative to your birthday. Something I rarely care about in the first place. I don't know why I mentioned it at all. I'm not a birthday person. Don't really care. Anyway, Blue Chips was a failure, and the critics didn't love it much either. 37% of them liked it. That is all. Five out of 10 was the average number. So I guess those who did like it bumped that number up, but overall, they didn't 37%. But 51% of audiences, either way, that is a big splat on the tomato meter. Yeah, it's a little surprising to me that it's that low. Although I think this is one of those movies that in time has become a bit of a cult favorite. Oh, it has? Okay. I think so. Well, let's get your thoughts right away. Are you a fan of this movie or not? Yeah, I am. I liked this movie when it came out because I was a huge Shaq fan in his early days with Orlando. So I dug it back then and I still like it today. I forget how much I like this era of Nick Nolte too. He's really good, even though he apparently had no ability to wrap his head around the aspects of coaching a basketball game. Like, oh, he hit it pretty well, then. I thought you Right? I think he's the best thing in this movie. Oh, I agree. And he's that, on screen in almost every scene, too. There's an article, I think, uh, the Rolling Stone or SI did. It's one of those oral history things, and they talk about Nick Nolte, and he was, I think, always the desired go-to for the Pete Bell character, but in filming the movie, apparently... The strategy aspects of coaching in the huddle, that kind of stuff, was just lost in him. So they really had to walk him through what he was going to say for those huddle scenes. But like you said, I think he nailed it. He shadowed Bobby Knight. I was reading through a lot of this. And of course, that's the rival coach in the big game. Yeah. Did you just watch this movie last night? For me, it's been about a week. Yes. I've seen this movie before. 
but I didn't remember anything about it. So this isn't a new viewing, like we've had three this year already for me, a first time viewing, but it might as well have been. So you know it better than me. Answer this question for me, because I paid for it days ago. It's gone on iTunes. I'm not going to repay for it. <laughs> not to answer this one question. No. Did I not hear Dick Vitale said, it's the first game of the season, baby? Yes. The game so against why Indiana, right? two things? Yes. Yeah, it is. They beat a big opponent. Granted, that's awesome. That's an upset, despite their new star players. But why does everyone flood the court after the first game of the season win? Because the fans do that, just like yeah. the end of Hoosiers, same idea. And why, well, okay, this is going to be a big theme of the podcast, corruption and the Bells, meaning both Nick Nolte and Mary McDonnell, Jenny Bell. <sighs> he quits after one game? Yeah. This is so, well, I should do the voice. This is getting to me so much, I can't, I, oh, this voice is going to kill me. I won't even bother. <laughs> Too much, I can't even stay on and be a coach. Looking through my notes later on, a few days later, and thought, I must have misheard that. This has to be half of the season, or maybe it's the playoffs. Yeah. It's a little heavy-handed. There's no question about it. The whole messaging in this movie is... Couldn't be thicker? It couldn't be thicker, that's right. And this movie lost me in the end, incidentally. Did it? Yes. The second half is shit. Well, the second half, okay. The action is fine. The basketball action is yes. fine. My problem is... <sighs> I think Babin, I've talked... You're doing a lot of deep sighing already for like five minutes in. I wanted to like this movie because I was watching the first hour thinking, this is pretty damn solid. I can see why you wanted to do this movie in 25 years. I always loved the fives and the zeros. Made sense in yeah. 1994. This is a big sports movie year. Yeah. Same year as Angels in the Outfield. We already covered that. D2 was out that year. Major League 2 was out that year. All of them made more money than this, by the way. This is 58th. And right, the box rightfully office. so. Those yeah. movies you cited it was a should. Babin, and I've covered Forrest Gump and Shawshank Redemption and Pulp Fiction and Interview yeah. the Vampire. This is a big year for us on this channel in general and a big year for movies in general. I like 1994 a lot. But at 25 years old, maybe this is part of the reason why. This whole thing about, you gotta buy players to make a college team good. What? I'm flipping over this table, I can't do this. Like the scene where Nolte throws out Ricky Rowe for demanding, not really demanding, but just basically asking for a payoff. Yeah. Get out of here! I can't stand for this kind of shit! And then maybe they cut some scenes out, but it's the next scene, I think, where he's saying, okay, come back in. We're good. I need to buy you this way it has to work. But then, whatever yeah. it is, it's a few months later. Because, of course, this would have been happening, I guess, in the summer. And then the season's in the fall. After one game, I can't do this anymore. Unless yeah. they have a lot of scenes cut out, I thought that was a whiplash effect. And I love Whiplash, the movie that Bev and I covered a few months ago. Couldn't buy that at all. And Nick Nolte and Mary McDonald's characters in this are children. If they are this against this notion. If you're going to be a college sports coach, especially at this level, and you're going to be taking on teams like Indiana, grow up. Okay, so <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there. A lot of ranting there. A lot of ranting. And I think this movie benefits from tackling aspects of it individually. There's a few different things that I think Shelton is trying to do. Ron Shelton wrote this, yeah. Yeah, we've talked on this podcast, at least, about Tin Cup and White Man Can't Jump, both of which are movies that I think we both like a Absolutely, lot. Absolutely, yes. And, and Bev and I covered Bull Durham a few years ago, so we've talked about Ron Shelton four times on this channel. He didn't direct this, though. That was William Friedkin. Bevan and I haven't talked about him since. Apparently French. was a super head case when... Always was. Yeah. He was a tyrant when he was young, and I guess he would have to be a head case to get older. But this movie is apparently one that Shelton could only get made because of White Men Can't Jump. Nobody would touch this, and then they wanted that movie, and that movie did so well for them that they then got this made. Makes another basketball comedy, Ron. This isn't a comedy. Yeah, it's yeah. not really at all the same thing. I'm struggling to figure out how best to break this down. In Why do you like it? Tell me that part, because I just told you I had a huge problem with the second half. That's really what it comes down to, because I like Nolte. I think yeah. Shaq is better than being nominated for a Razzie as Worst New Star. 
Yeah, I mean, he... Anna Nicole Smith won that award for Naked Gun 33 and the Third. Which was deserved. That. Okay, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> but he's actually pretty good in this. He's... Shaq is not as good as LeBron James was in Trainwreck. And no, John no. Cena's become, and The Rock, and some of these athletes who become actors who are pretty damn good actors. Bob Cousy in this movie. The guy who's hitting the free throws and just doesn't miss. That's Bob Cousy from the Boston Celtics. It reminds me of playing in the backyard with you. Just <laughs> Sometimes. Non-stop yeah. free throws. You don't That's miss. That's all I can do is hit free throws unguarded. But all of these guys are pretty good actors. I think Shaq's better than this movie says. Penny Hardaway, of course, is in this too. Yeah, and I think you're pretty much answering the question for me. A lot of what I like about this movie are the individual performances, notably okay. Nolte. I like Ed O'Neill's character. Barely in it, though. But he's barely in it, which is weird. Because they make a real point of focusing on the middle stages of the movie that he's going to investigate the Nick Nolte character. And, and he is doing it, and but he you is. barely see it. It doesn't pay off at all anyway. All it takes is one question at the end of the movie and Nolte 4. Oh, you got me! It's very bizarre. You get the sense that regardless of that question, he was going to resign anyway. That at that point, we were meant to understand that his character felt so morally compromised that he couldn't continue anyway. I thought they did a fantastic job with the actual footage of the games. Yes, the sport is depicted quite well. Apparently, that was the focus. Shelton's stated desire was that they wanted athletes they wanted actual basketball players they wanted coaches which is why they got bobby knight to be in the movie as the coach of the indiana hoosiers which at is the what end, he was in reality which is what he was in reality patino's in this too as rick patino and that's why the ricky Rowe character is played by uh apparently an ncaa athlete that, matt nover yeah you have guys like Shaq, who at this point was a star in the nba you had penny hardaway who was a top level prospect for that year's draft going into the nba and then you had matt nover who was by all accounts a good basketball player for indiana but was not going to be an NBA player and the reason he's in the movie is because they wanted Bobby Knight for that last game oh, okay. and he played for Bobby Knight in Indiana so I'll be in your movie but you got to get one of my kids in your movie too and he's actually fine he's got he's a couple fine. more as, or as many scenes at least he's got, the, and... he's got the look right you can't get more corn fed farm boy than that Matt Nover guy with the flat top haircut so I like the performance, I like the game action, but where the movie loses me as well is in the narrative a little bit. I agree with you. The flow of the movie is way off, and I don't know if that comes from editing or... I think it does. Because Ron Shelton's a better writer than this. I don't think this is a very good screenplay, and I don't think that Freakin directed it overall that well. Sports scenes are fine. I don't like Freakin's choice of music. He picks some great songs that people like yeah. me and my age love do not fit modern basketball. Well, at this point, 25 years ago, modern basketball. Didn't have to be hip-hop exactly, although that's what these kids would have been listening to, or rap, or Ice Cube kind of music, NWA would have been their thing, probably. But it's just stuff from the 60s. The music choices were a little strange. And okay, Pete would probably be listening to that in his car, I'll give you that. But it's almost like, no, I'm the director, I like this music, I'm going to put this in my film. But it doesn't fit your film. No, I agree with that. So there are aspects of it I liked a lot, and then there are aspects of it that lost me a little bit. The things I did enjoy carried it enough for me that I still enjoyed the movie as a whole. Let me ask you your score for it right now, then. We're going to lead with a score? Might as well get into it early. I'd go with like a 6 out of 10. Or that low, I would have thought you'd be higher. For me, it's a disappointed 5. I'm I not... actually liked Lionheart more because it did disappoint me. This did. Yeah. Lionheart, even though it's a bloody movie, is actually somehow more fun to watch than this one is, yes. which is a little bit weird. You touched on a couple of things I did want to break down into more detail. The first and most important are the notions of Nick Nolte's character's mm -hmm. morality. That's interlinked with the whole narrative of college sports and corruption and buying right. athletes. Can I quickly interrupt for my nutshell because it does fit the theme? Yeah, put it out there. The guy who always ran a clean program makes one mistake. Okay, three mistakes <laughs> at once. Well, three strikes are out, right? He starts buying these guys. I do have a question about that, by the way. And I don't mean for this movie. I mean in general, because we know this happens. Players have been bought 
so many times over probably. And yeah. I don't blame them. We're getting to that whole thing in a second. But in this movie, they have visible things. A house, a really expensive car, a tractor. Yep. When you provide graft or payoffs, whatever word you want to use for it, like that, how is that not more investigated by people like Ed O'Neill's character? Because it's visible. It's not just money in the bank account. Don't touch this right now or just be discreet about how you use it, like drug money and Breaking Bad, where you have to launder it. Yeah. Not that these guys are laundering their money, but you know what I'm saying? They have a visible thing. It'd be like if Bev and I had an incredibly great sports car out there, or if we suddenly moved to this mansion in the city, they'd say, but you lived in some small little place in East York not that long ago. Why the hell are you living here now? You know what I'm saying? Visible yeah. evidence of There's... this money they're getting they shouldn't be getting. Although, they should be getting it, but anyway, go ahead. The screenplay is very ham-handed in the way it tries to bludgeon you over the head with its messaging, and that's one of the aspects of it that clanked a little bit. Payoffs happen. We know, everybody knows it happens. You read about it constantly. Actually, it's interesting because a day or two before we're recording this, the NCAA recently said that they are going to begin discussing compensation for their athletes. Finally. Allowing it. California has passed state legislation to allow student-athletes to earn money off of commercial use of their likeness and endorsements and things like Absolutely, that. Absolutely, finally. Yeah, so Good. I, the NCAA, I think, is finally seeing the writing on the wall and will presumably change their in-house rules. It's no to longer there will be there won't be modern slaves anymore. Exactly. And I know that's a strong way to put it, and it's not just because they're black. Even if it had been all white kids, this is effectively modern slavery. Well, of course. When you know how much money in the modern era, and even in the 90s when this movie was set, how much money these high-level schools are making off of the athletes and the fact that they are benefiting not at all from that. And I know people... Well, they will long-term, the players will, but not in the moment. Well, not even... Not the, for a few years. Most of them long-term won't either. Oh, yeah, true, because most of them won't the make the The vast majority won't. By and... the way, I hear myself saying modern slavery, and I don't like the sound of that in retrospect, because, of course, slaves went through way worse than these guys do. But I think you get what I'm saying. It's more like indentured servitude. There we go. Some, Let's go with that. Was... So slavery, no, but indentured servitude, yes. Yeah, so... The long-standing argument doesn't hold water in the least for the NCAA has been that since their inception, they were an amateur sporting organization and amateur athletes should not make money. And they that's Probably fine. were at that time, yeah. I was going to say, that's probably fine to say in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s. I'm sure there was very little money to be made off of amateur sports at the university level in America. But certainly by the 90s, and even more so now, there are tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions hundreds. of dollars at each individual school, I'm saying, to be made off of these amateur athletics. You can only go so far and say to a poor 17-year-old kid that's trying to make his way through sport, or her way these days through sport, right. yes, the school is going to make millions off of your likeness and your athletic ability, and we will give you a scholarship that might be worth five dollars or $10,000 for it, but we will not give you money for food, we will not give you money for your family, and you better not accept ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 from a booster to help your family. Or even a really nice meal yeah, cause, from that same booster. Because then your persona non grata, your eligibility will be barred, you won't be But the booster for walks away, the school walks away. Yeah, there's a, it's all a, fine for them. There's an incredible level of hypocrisy yep. inherent in that messaging, and this movie... Kind of ineffectively, unfortunately. It's naive. It's like a child. What? Well, yeah. See, I thought that too at first. That was my initial reaction. And there's a scene in the movie where the happy character, the primary booster that Nick Nolte's character... Oh, J.T. Walsh, yeah. yeah. Great character actor. There's a scene between the two of them when Nick Nolte makes that kind of argument to him and says, I'm clean, I will not buy players. And he says to him, wake up, don't be so naive, this is the way things happen... And he makes the same argument I just made. The schools are benefiting immensely. He points to the coach and said, you are benefiting immensely, which is also true. These coaches now, they have million-dollar contracts yeah. to coach the kids that are making nothing. 
You're making six figures for your contract. You're making six figures from your TV deal on the side. The school's making millions, but those kids, we can't give them anything. It's almost like the same argument that you can make for legalizing marijuana usage, which we've done in Canada, or legalizing prostitution. These are things we don't like and don't want to think about as a society sometimes. Much of the time, by not allowing it, you just drive it underground. Yeah. And you make it unsafe. Especially drugs. Especially drugs, and especially people that are working in voluntary sex industry or something. If you were to legalize it and provide them a safe place to work where they could get their safety provided for, it's a much less dangerous situation to be in and it's not going away and the same is true of this kind of thing it ain't going away there's enough money to be made that you know people are going to try to buy off athletes and by driving it underground you just make it more dangerous for the players and make them more susceptible to negative influences who knows who's going to show up on their door with a duffel bag full of money and say if you go to this school this is yours years down the line maybe they ask you for a quote-unquote favor like who the heck knows yes but if you make it a legal process and it's all known and above board then everybody's safer for it and frankly the athletes at this point deserve it and we I, talked about this in eight men out a few weeks ago that those guys were making okay. pretty good money considering the time from they're in but the modern players make that much more mike trout for example you can't pay the guy off because he already makes so much money it wouldn't be worth it to you to try to pay him off to throw games but these guys are making zero so we also see that element zero, where yeah. Tony, who is a former player of Pete's, he was his best player when the team started getting bad. Yeah. We find out later he was point shaving. Although one of the other things about this movie, dumb scenes like this where they're watching the tape and saying, oh man, he's really giving the ball away there. Not playing good defense there. Gave the ball away again. Coaches watch tape <laughs> exactly. and film, whatever, now probably DVDs religiously. And they don't notice any of those things until now. You didn't watch the game footage after the game to see what went wrong. I'm sure they did, but Nick Nolte is naive. That's part of his whole character through the first half of the movie is, Coach, you were involved in that point-shaving scandal three years ago, and Nolte's saying, I had nothing to do with it. I don't know what you're talking about. That was totally false. Which sounds like he was telling the truth in the end. And he, he didn't know. He was. The booster got to one of the players who just needed money to live in one game. And, but he's the bad guy in the eyes of so many. Yeah, and see, that's the mixed messaging of this movie. I'm pretty sure that the movie is trying to say... The NCAA compensation system or rules against compensation is bad, that it puts the players and the coaches like Nick Nolte's character in untenable positions because Nick Nolte desperately wants to be a man of morality and conscience, but finds himself unable to be that just because of the world in which he coaches. It's like the PED thing we've been talking about in our podcasts all almost, it seems, 38 episodes. Yeah, actually, that's probably a more apt comparison than I was trying to make. Or you can't compete. (laughs) We talked yeah. about that on Eddie Manel, because I was saying about how what's the bigger scandal? People that bet on games, especially against their own team. Pete yeah. Rose came up, of course, in that one, and of course the Black Sox did. Or when you take drugs, make yourself better. None of it's good. I don't wish any of this stuff happened, but let's be real. I think what they're trying to show in this movie is interesting and good and necessary, but it's just so clunky. And I'm surprised yeah. from Ron Shelton and even from Billy Friedkin, who directed two of the seminal movies of the 70s, French Connection, and maybe even more so The Exorcist. And Sorcerer was a pretty good film, even though it flopped at the time. It came out against Star Wars. That's part of the reason why. Bev and I covered Wages of Fear a few years ago, which is the original movie that Friedkin redid as Sorcerer. Oh, It's okay. a good movie. He made three really good movies in the 70s, and I would say pretty much nothing since. And this, to me, is another one that's a disappointment. I would watch this again if it was on TV and if I was homesick or something like that. The remote was over there. I wouldn't be offended. When, I can't watch Blue Chips. It'd be more a matter of, I don't really want to see it again because I was disappointed. Why does he have to be this naive and this dumb? And even his wife, for that matter. Because they're not dumb characters. I like their relationship. They don't have a ton of screen time together. 
they're not married anymore. Obviously, their marriage broke down a long time ago because he's obsessed with basketball. It didn't seem like he ever cheated on her. It's just that he cheated on her with basketball, not with any kind of women. Right. But he has this cool house on the beach. They have a good relationship still. She helps him out through the whole movie, so he kind of wins anyway. <laughs> if he can't be with her, it's a pretty good substitute he's for still, being with her. He's still kind of with her. In a way, I suppose, yeah. And maybe it's a symptom of the era, because I think the 90s in particular was very guilty of not believing in the ability of an audience to actually get a message. This movie is more guilty of it than perhaps any other movie we've covered, is that it has a message it wants to make sure you understand, and it's going to absolutely lay it out for you in big, chunky clues along the way, and then just smack you across the face with it at the end. And that's why the payoffs are done so ham-handedly as well, because you're absolutely right. If you really wanted to pay a player off to come to your school and do it in a realistic way, I think it's a safe bet you're not going to buy somebody a bloody house and then have them take the for sale sign down so that reporter can take a picture of it. I'm sure there's going to be a transfer of funds and you'll be told, listen... You are not to buy any property with this for four years or whatever, right? Because like the heist in Goodfellas. Yes. Don't buy anything right now. Yeah, Get rid of that mink coat. Get rid of that car. Lay low. This happens and we know it happens. Look at Duke. Duke is a great school. It has Mike Krzyzewski coaching at it. Is he still there? He is. He left and he came back. It's essentially a factory for producing NBA players. But look at the team they had playing for them last year. Headlined by Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett, and there was another guy in there who was actually the number two high school prospect in the nation. Zion was number one, this guy was number two, and R.J., I think, was number three. They all go to Duke as freshmen in the same draft class. Like in this movie, you got three superstars that come to the same team at the same time. It strains believability that they would all choose to go to Duke just because they wanted to go to a top-flight basketball school when there are, frankly, a number of top-flight programs like Duke there's got to be something involved beyond just come to our school and you'll get a great education and opportunity to go to the NBA. Somebody was greasing a palm, right? I do understand. They talk about this in the movie as well, that the East Coast makes a difference because you're in prime time more. Even though this is California, the movie was shot in Indiana and Chicago but, and also L.A., but the set, of course, in L.A. mostly. Well, his road trip is obviously in those places, Indiana and Chicago especially. But the school is the Western University Dolphins in L.A. Yeah. And one of the coaches even says the kids want to be in the East Coast, prime time. They don't say this, but probably easier travel as well. You don't have to go as far yeah. to see some of the schools. Those are reasonable things. Also, a elite school. But you just said education. Every once in a while, and Emmett Smith, for example, goes back to school, gets his diploma. Shaq. He told his, did he? Shaq went okay. back and got his diploma. Emmett Smith at least told his mother he would. And it was many years after he'd been a superstar that he'd retired, I think, from the NFL. Good on him. He actually lived up to his promise to his mother. Well, Vince Carter famously... During the playoffs against the Philadelphia 76ers, he went back to school after he oh, entered the NBA. I did not know that. Not so famous. Know, was it game six? He wasn't at... Get a test? <laughs> he had his graduation, and rather than show ah. up for game six of the playoffs against Philadelphia, he went to the graduation at North Carolina, missed the warm-up, missed the other part, had a bad game afterwards, and everyone said, what the hell are you doing? Well, I made a promise to go back to school and get my diploma. I got to tip my captain for that one. I applaud. I can see why the fans and the team, everyone might have been mad at him, but... Man, if you're ever going to miss a game, apart from being really injured or sick or something, you see it more in baseball now, and maybe other sports yeah. do it too, where players are on maternity, or sorry, I guess it'd be paternity leave. leave. And it's only for a few days. It's not like they go away for months. Nobody ever saw that until the last few years. Well, Daniel Hudson, the reliever for the Washington Nationals, missed part of the playoffs for paternity leave. Because his wife had a kid. And apparently got slagged on social media for it. What are you going to do? Your kid's being born, right? Mm. And you only graduate once, so kudos to Vince Carter for that one. Okay, no, then so, that's good. I think the education plays a very limited role, though, where you choose to go to school. They are not students. 
Most of them are not. We talked about Emmett Smith, went back to school, Vince Carter. Yeah. Good on them. But Patrick Ewing, he was one of the all-time greats when he was still playing. He'd probably be considered that now. As far as I remember, was functionally illiterate. Now, how does that happen? Because he's not a student. He was just an athlete. And I'm not judging the players. I'm not judging the kids. Especially when they're 16 or 17 or 18 years old. Maybe a little bit older. They're children. They're going to do what they have to. They're going to play the sport. They're programmed to do that. That's all they really want to do in the first place. And a lot of them are obviously not very bright or good at studies in the first place. So why would you do that when you get past anyway? We talked about them Friday Night Lights. Yeah. If Booby didn't get his leg destroyed, he was going to go to the NFL undoubtedly, or at least to college and probably the NFL. And he even says about how it doesn't matter about my grades. I'm a football player. Yeah. Most players at that level don't need to be good at school because they're not students. And that is fine, but I hate the hypocrisy, and you said that word a few minutes ago, and also the lying, basically. The NCAA needs to come clean, and maybe they finally are. I didn't know about that to you. told us a few minutes ago that they're maybe going to pay these guys at least something. And it shouldn't be that they ever get caught with a tractor or a car or any of that kind of thing, that their career is over with. But the person and the program that allowed that to happen gets away scot-free. We talked about that in 8 mm-hmm. Men Out as well. The players are kicked out of baseball, but the White Sox and probably all the teams that in some way may have been involved in this let it happen. They're fine. They didn't do anything wrong. Okay, yeah, right. Sure. It's kind of the way of the world in that respect. The world sides with the rich people way too often. They shouldn't be siding with the people that have all the money versus the young guys. But we said slavery. Most basketball players are black. So there's definitely a theme there. Maybe Friedkin and Shelton are going for that as well. I was trying to pick up some of the names of the athletes that were playing in this. I recognized Shaq. I recognized Penny Hardaway, but Mm -hmm. I didn't recognize Matt Nover. I was trying to look him up. And apparently Jim Caviezel played an uncredited basketball player in this movie. I can find him here. Da, 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 a lot of names. Rick Fox. Yeah, just as basketball player, yeah. yeah. A lot of people popped up in this movie. If you scroll through the names, there's a number of basketball players. Alan Houston, is that a player? Alan Houston. Thought so. Yeah. He was a name? very good player with the New York Knicks. Okay. Incidentally, I said Texas Western, and of course the team is Western University. One of my little favorite rants, I've talked about things like paint. It makes no sense to me. What makes no sense to me in this case... Wait, what? I got called on this a few weeks ago. We there a podcast about Saturday Night Fever. It was a long time ago. Paint? Doesn't He's, make sense to you? Saturday Night Fever, John Travolta's character is a paint salesman and okay. also likes to dance at night. And I just said to Bev at one point, I don't get why we have so much paint. It's a toxic thing. It's completely cosmetic. And then somebody called me to task for that. They can think what they want to. <laughs> I was mostly having fun with it. That's a weird position to take. <laughs> you think of all why the things we paint? need to do and you can understand why we do them, even if they are costly or bad for the environment or bad for people. But paint... Really, to me, it's just cosmetic. Well, I've... My comparison rant is Western, because <laughs> this is Western University or Texas Western. All the directional colleges. We have a Western University <laughs> here in Southern Ontario. It's so nonspecific and lazy. Why don't you call it something that means something rather than... If it's maybe going to be Chicago oh, Western, if it's going to be Western University, well, it's still no different than Western University here. That's what they call it in Southern Ontario. It makes no sense to me. Wow, I didn't realize you had such deeply held grievances against such specific things. Well, even things like state, to be Texas University and then Texas State University. Yeah. Or Texas A&M. Can we maybe make this a little bit more specific than so that? So, wh- what are your feelings on street names? There are way too many. I'm going to sound like about, Trump or what about main, Grandpa Simpson. Main Street. There are far too many streets these days. Please eliminate four. Avenue Road. <laughs> or 24. First Street. Yeah, they're pretty lazy, aren't they? <laughs> I do like when I see Ellis Avenue because that's fun. We have about 18 Ellis Avenues in the city. I've seen more than I would have thought. It's true. That was a weird tangent. I can't believe you don't like paint. That's so bizarre. (laughs) 
Maybe if you didn't paint with all the lead-based paints in your house, you wouldn't feel so strongly against them all the time. I just want to make that comparison that people would say, why do you care about Western University? Because it makes no sense. Call it something that makes a little bit more sense. I will get on board with lazy school or a team or whatever naming because that does happen a lot, unquestionably. So, one of the things that I wondered about when I was watching this... You had a similar conclusion just based on our experiences with Ron Shelton and the quality of his screenplays and how this one kind of clanked a little bit. The Ed O'Neill character, who plays the investigative reporter who grills Nick Nolte in the beginning of the movie about the point-shaving scandal that we find out later Nick Nolte was telling the truth about. He didn't actually know about the point-shaving that was happening behind his back. And then he disappears for a little while, and Nick Nolte goes through his moral churn of wanting to recruit without compromising himself, and then ultimately... Hitting the road! This yeah. is a road movie. Which was actually kind of a neat little sequence, seeing all the various recruiters from the universities just visiting the same yep. people and competing with one another. I also like how Nolte, in this movie, Pete Bell, is an actor. He's got. Oh, I yeah. don't think he's a prayer. He's got to pretend to pray. Every with denomination. Well, not just that. Every denomination he goes to he goes. Oh, I was raised Catholic, right. or I was raised Southern. Did you Baptist, notice when he goes in the church, evangelical? He does seem like he's legitimate about his enthusiasm about that church. But when he starts clapping with them, he's out of sync. Oh yeah. No, so he, maybe the character doesn't have any rhythm, but it seems like he's pretending like he knows what they're doing, but he doesn't. He's also a middle-aged white guy trying to dance to music, so you know he's at a disadvantage. I think that's that. maybe freaking though, being a little bit subtle and saying that he's completely full of shit and of doesn't know anything about this at all. No, he doesn't. And one of my favorite moments, Nick Nolte moments of this movie, is when he's speaking to Ricky Rowe's father on the farm. I was raised as a Baptist. I'm a church-going guy. I'll look after your son. And the father asks him, what kind of Baptist? Nick Nolte had this expression on his face for a moment when he's asked that question. Like, uh... I've got one of two answers here. And you can see in his brain somewhere there's a little guy just throwing a dart at a board trying to pick Southern or whatever the heck the other one was. Eventually he landed on the correct one and you get the father's blessing, essentially. You've got the Ed O'Neill character grilling him. He goes through this moral quandary. Eventually, like you said, he caves in and decides, all right, we got to do it. We're buying off the players and we're getting them in here. And then you get the montage of Ed O'Neill doing his investigative reporter shtick on his 90s computer hardware where he presses a button and all of a sudden you get a picture of Butch's mom holding a novelty oversized sold sign in front of a house as she walks away with the sold sign, right? Okay, he's compiling a dossier of evidence against this university and he's going to bring them down, he's going to expose the corruption... But then you never hear Jack squat about it. Then you get another half hour, 40 minutes of Nick Nolte wrangling with his morality. You get that final game where they... First game. Sorry, I meant the final game of of the the movie. movie. But the first game of the season against the Indiana Hoosiers, which I thought was a funny little Mm -hmm. moment given that we talked about Hoosiers. And then the press conference where Ed O'Neill just asks one question about, I think it was Shaq's character being gifted a Lexus, right? Sounds right. And Nolte just crumbled. And in that moment, I thought, was there intended to be, and maybe filmed and just didn't work, were there scenes between Ed O'Neill and Nick Nolte's characters where maybe Ed said, listen, I've got all this evidence, I know you... you His character, by the way, is Ed, so that's easy for him to remember his name in this movie. But when I say Ed, I forget, okay, was I referring to Ed O'Neill or Ed the character? But anyway, (laughs) I wonder if the reporter was meant to confront the Nick Nolte character at some point in the movie and show him all the evidence and apply the clamps a little bit and up the ante and the pressure, and then when it comes to the press conference, Nick Nolte is left with the decision, do I come clean and resign and at least retain a shred of my moral dignity? Or do I deny, 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 just say I'm proud of the guys for winning this game, for beating the top team in the country, and screw you, Ed. 
but then risk the reporter publishing the story, and then he just looks dirty by comparison. Because I think that would have made a lot Either more sense. Either one of those sense. is good. And yeah, it's a scene, more scenes with Nick Nolte and Ed O'Neill. That would have helped, I think. You're I right. I think it solves your problem with it, because yes. then you understand, at least more clearly, why Nick Nolte's character would walk away from the team so abruptly after the first game. We know he's struggling with the decisions he made, but it was so soon and so fast it felt unnatural. If we know that he's under external pressure from Ed's character or something then at least we have a reason for understanding why he made That's why now, in this moment, in this place. Yeah, and he still retains his moral dignity because he's chosen to take the high road and own up to what he did. And, and go coach some young kids. Yeah, maybe that's the easiest solution, and maybe it existed. I gotta believe it did. I think Shelton's too good a screenwriter to walk us in the road that he did in this movie. I think there's probably stuff cut. I think Freakin at this point was a director for hire too, so he maybe had to let the studio tell him what to do. Yeah, that's probably true. Because studios don't always ruin movies. Sometimes they make them better. But in this case, it may have been their interference. I didn't read that exactly, but it just seems like Friedkin and Shelton, maybe they would say they did, didn't work well together because Shelton is probably as good a director as Friedkin is. Overall, if you look at their resume, Shelton didn't direct as many movies. Yeah. Their filmography, despite French Connection and Exorcist being more famous movies than a lot of the Shelton stuff, Shelton, especially at this thing, at sports movies, he made so many of them. You say the studio, that's something I didn't consider, but you're probably right. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Paramount! <laughs> if some exec said, you know what, we need Nick Nolte to be acting of his own accord and just making this decision on his own to be the true paragon of morality, so get rid of any of this stuff that implies that he was doing this for other reasons. He just has to do it. Kind but you know what's funny is the first scene of the whole film with him... He has that epic, violent, profane rant of the players. Oh, yeah, he keeps leaving and keeps coming back. I love that scene. Now, he doesn't, that was a good scene, but just from the standpoint of morality. He doesn't do anything to them. He doesn't hurt them. He doesn't threaten them. But he is screaming at them. We've seen so many inspirational coaches' speeches, and it's kind yeah. of good this wasn't one of those. And I like that he leaves and comes back. It's a little bit funny, but not over-the-top ha-ha funny. It's one of those, and one more thing type moments. It's the best part of the help when Octavia Spencer leaves after something had happened and you see her walk outside in a long shot. She just puts her finger in the air. I got one more thought. I love that moment. And it's kind of like this. You don't see yeah. Nolte out of the room, but you get the same kind of feeling from it. But he's being abusive to these kids, really. And the look on their faces is saying, we've heard this before. But how is that okay? Wow. He's such a moral guy, but he does that? Morality is always relative, and it's especially relative in situations like this. There's a very definite line in the sand when you're dealing with rules, in the case of something like the NCAA recruitment rules. So you're either recruiting as you are allowed to, or you're not. How do you deal with another human being? That's a more difficult question. In coaching standards, I think yelling at a group of kids has been an accepted way to coach for a very long Bobby time. Bobby Knight sure did it. And, and also got physical. Yes, and Bobby Knight, I think, was an inspiration for that specific scene, too, yes. because okay. it was apparently yeah. something he did. But you talk about morality, he openly and actively, as you said earlier, lies to the parents of the kids he's trying to recruit about what he believes in, what his upbringing is, to try to get the kid to come to his school. Is that more? No, of course it's not. It's a sliding scale. I think the question is, what are you comfortable with? And Nick Nolte's character had that line that he had to cross. But that first scene set such an interesting tone for this movie. Like you said, he's yelling and berating these kids because they're losing at halftime. Or is it after the game? And he's just I thought it was before the game. They were losing something. I don't know if they had lost, and there was only two games left in the season, or it was at halftime. I feel like it was more like halftime. Yeah. I feel like it was either before or during the game, not after. But what I loved about it, because it was fun, even though he's clearly angry and trying to inspire the team, he says something to the effect of, I'm not ready for this season to end. We only have two more games, and if we don't win, it's all over for us, and we've got more basketball, and so let's do this, and he storms out. And he comes back in and he goes, I can't tell you how sick I am of basketball. Yeah. I want this to be done. I can't look at any of you guys. I'm out of here. And then he leaves and he comes back. 
I'm sorry, I love all you guys, yeah. we can do it, just hold it. It's like the messaging just keeps swerving around. Let's land on what is going to inspire these kids to do well. And being a messy speech is nice. We've seen so many great yeah, ones. Yeah, it's so fun. And this is great because it's probably not very well rehearsed. I like also the point where he says, we're not losers, we're winners. And then cut to talking to other people, we're losers. <laughs> that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. That was good editing. His relationship with the kids is one of the better aspects of the movie, I thought. More so than the overarching narrative of the whole scandal stuff. So the small moments work for you better than the whole movie in general. Yeah. You said only a six, so I'm a little bit surprised. I thought maybe the way you were talking earlier was going to be higher than that. Well, because the way the movie actually plays out is so grievously flawed that I can't really give it much more than that. And like you said, it's also not a terribly fun movie to watch in its entirety. It has moments that are fun. It has moments that are touching. And most of those moments that are touching involve Nick Nolte talking to a player. But also it's moments that clank. And I think you mentioned the moment between Nick Nolte slapping around the Tony character because Tony was the player that shaved points and took money to do it three years prior. That scene didn't really play does out. Does he for... literally slap him? He pushes him against a wall. I think he hits him. He does. Oh, okay. Well, you saw this more recently than me. Yeah. You've seen it more, I guess, than I have. And that scene in particular, apparently they did the take a crazy number of times because the guy that was playing Tony, the basketball mm-hmm. player, couldn't get what the director wanted. Freakin wasn't getting what he wanted from Tony, so eventually he effectively beat the snot out of him himself and said, do you trust me? Yes, okay, and then slapped him around. He did the same thing in The Exorcist to a priest. He has cast non-actors lots of times, and we've already said that the basketball players are pretty good in this movie, despite Shaq's stupid Razzie nomination. In The Exorcist, this priest he cast to be a priest has a fairly major role. He's Jason Miller's buddy in the film. He's the one that has to give him the last rites at the very end of the film, when Jason Miller's dived out to save everyone kind of thing. And he didn't really sell it as well as Freakin wanted. So he said, just like you just said, do you trust me? Yeah, Bill. Slaps him in the face. Action. He's been known to do that now for, at that point, 20 years. Apparently that's his move. You're not giving me what I want? Let me just hit you a few times and see if that (laughs) jars something loose. That's the risky run of casting people who aren't actually actors, I guess, too. The Tony character played it okay. I just thought the scene as a whole clanked a little bit. But beyond that, there was a lot of touching moments. Like Nick Nolte's little speech at the end. The press conference. No, when he's talking to the players before the press conference, after the game, he just ends it with the whole, I love you all, and then... Very Hoosiers-esque also. It is. The last line that said before they go out to play the big game, I love you guys. Team! But really what it should have been was, Jimmy! (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy! He does care about these kids. Yeah. He loves these kids. Nolte plays it well that way, that at the end of it all, as much as he loves being a coach, even though he's accused of this throughout the movie, it's not the winning and having the losing record or the winning record that truly ends up bothering him more than anything. It's the relationship with the kids, and I took it that he felt at that point that he wasn't setting the example. As the coach of these players, he should be setting when he bought them. He doesn't want to send that message yes. to the players. Right? So hence, go off and coach little kids, which he yeah. does as soon as he quits. sees little kids just playing basketball. Here, what you gotta do is get your elbow in there and shoot the ball that way. Now, on a bit of a left turn here, what do you think of the two women, Mary McDonald and Alfred Woodard? Alfred Woodard is Butch's mother. Butch's mother, Mrs. McRae. And then Jenny Bell, Mary McDonald, plays her. So she's in the movie a lot more. Yeah. Incidentally, the score factor in this movie, Nolte, as you said earlier, looks pretty good. I think at 50 around this. You get a fair amount of Nolte dad bod in this movie, too. He wears a towel a lot. He was a a heartthrob in the 70s. When he was in the deep, for example, he was one of the heartthrobs of the late 70s, believe it or not. You wouldn't think that. Well, even when he was in Cape Fear... He was kind of like the yeah. sexy dad in Cape Fear. Or right? Prince of Tides that same year. People looked at that movie as him mm. being a sex god, effectively, in a different kind of way than you'd see now. A little bit of a dilf, is what you're saying? Okay, there you go, yeah. But Mary McDonald and Alfred Woodard, maybe this is the middle-aged Ryan speaking, but they help the score factor in this thing. They both look really good. They're both likable. They're sexy. 
the young athletes, a lot of them topless and looking beefy and everything. So this movie is a little high up there, I'd say. Lionheart's still higher because oh, JCVD. Cynthia and JCVD, all the sex appeal there. But yeah, the movie's got a pretty good score factor in that way. I think the messaging in this movie is a little bit too dour for me. It kind of dampers the score appeal of this. Okay, so fair. I appreciate what you're saying about those two actresses, but it wasn't quite enough to get it over the bar. As far as their performances, the Alfre Woodard character, Butch's mom. She gots to get paid! Yeah, I think... what I'm quoting Spike Lee there, not being racist. What ruined her character for me was her whole arc ended in such a ham-handed way. The last thing you see of her is her walking off that front lawn with the giant sold sign after we already know she's penniless. The lead-up to her character for half an hour, every time Nick Nolte talks to somebody about Butch's mom, Butch's mom, you hear she's a terror. She's not really a terror. No, not what we see. Just asks, you're going to look after my boy? All right, what can you do for me? You're going to give me money? Cool, done. That wasn't a terror. That was Mm -hmm. a reasonable businesswoman just making a deal. I don't understand what all that lead-up was. Mary McDonald had a hell of a lot more to do, and I thought she did it fairly well, Mm -hmm. by and large. She and Nolte had pretty good chemistry and charisma. They could have worked well together in another movie. They never did that I'm aware of. She was super believable as an ex-wife who just had had it with her ex-husband. still liked him. Not just love, but kind of liked him. And she does become Shaq's tutor. Neon's tutor. But that's just it. I'm not saying she doesn't like him, but she had it with his, his bullshit, yeah. bullshit. You see that because she's exasperated, but she keeps helping him. Drink the expensive booze when he comes over to her place now yeah. and want to watch tape all night long. She had a hell of a nice place, too. Did you oh, see yeah. the exterior of that house? But again, I would live where he was, right for, on the water. She's a preschool teacher or something. She's teaching grade one. Well, because he would have been paying for it. Oh, you think the alimony? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah fair enough. Yeah, I forgot. And he... she made money. She had a job. But yes, that kind of place is because he lived there one time, too. Beautiful place. Yeah. Or if it wasn't, then she bought it with alimony and her own salary. That's fair. Now, we just mentioned Shaq was her student as she's coaching him. Or coaching him, I shouldn't say that. Shaq's but tutoring always him. fun, Ryan. She's tutoring Damn him. Damn it, I can't do a good Shaq. you got to <laughs> be more always. laconic in it, though. There's like a certain pacing to Shaq. Yeah. And I do like the twist where it proves that he's actually really smart, not just kind of smart. And he couldn't spell his own name right on the SATs. Well, he's smarter than he pretended to be early on. In that he failed in SAT. Those tests are racially biased. They probably are. Which is actually know. true. They've proven okay. that they absolutely are, they? are, yeah. I don't know much about SATs. We never take that kind of thing here in yeah. Canada. So The number of articles I've read over the last maybe three months that have to do with cultural biases in post-secondary education, NCAA stuff, it's pretty big in media, particularly in the States. Like you said, we don't really deal with NCAA or SATs here. But this movie, 25 years ago, was talking about... It's getting mentioned again now, is what you're saying, then. And way more so than it ever was before. So this movie was prescient in a lot of the things it was talking about. Shaq, I don't think, was deserving of a Razzie. He doesn't have a whole heck of a lot to do as his character. He says this thing, and he says it about the SATs, and I think he says it about something else as well, that are culturally biased. And like, The basketball players in Space Jam are worse than he is in this. Way worse, yes. Like, Maybe even Michael, but certainly the other guys. They're playing goofy, I guess. That's part of the point. But even so, I don't think they're very capable of being any better than they were. I mean, Charles Barkley is kind of fun in Space Jam as his goofy and capable okay, self. And, but who's the tall, skinny, seven-foot Sean guy? Bradley. Sean Bradley was nothing to speak of. He was effectively mm. like the Matt Nover of that movie, except Matt Nover could act circles around Hey, him. Mike. Good to see you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do I get my powers back? Oh, I have them back. A young Mark Wahlberg wanted to play Matt Nover's character, but oh. just like Pacino in Slapshot, can you play basketball at a college level, at least? No, I'm not casting you. Right. I don't care if the guys I cast can barely act a lick. I'll slap them into submission, but you got to be able to play convincing ball. And Pacino couldn't skate. Couldn't skate. No slap shots for Pacino. Ironically enough, Pacino is a great free throw shooter. <laughs> He's shorter than me. So <laughs> only he has like me. You better get the free throw line when I'm going to block you. Then you can be great. Yeah, so there you go. 
we've hit on most aspects of this movie at this point, but I think one thing we haven't talked about at all, but I assume we're going to agree on, is that the actual game footage, the coverage of the it's game, the, the way they shoot the action, especially in that last game, some of those alley-oop dunks, I thought it was shot very, very well. The footage of Bobby Knight in the huddle, they filmed the scene and they recorded the audio from the filming and intended to use that, but couldn't because it was so profanity-laden that they had to oh. record something separately and loop it in. It's funny to watch Shaq in this role in the early 90s when he would have been probably 21-ish. I've got his NBA, what's it called, NBA reference? Basketball reference, because like baseball reference. They shot in 93, so he would have been 21. 21. Yeah, so at this... Yeah, 20 or 21. This stage in his career, you watch him, and he's never a skinny dude, but he was athletic. And they talk about his quickness when they're scouting him in this movie. He's, He's quick. Look at the way he moves off the ball. He can dribble. He can run. He can do everything. And he could. And you see some of his footage from his young days in Orlando. The guy could sprint up the court dribbling the ball kind of the way a lot of players do now. These big 6'10", 7-foot guys that can actually handle the ball and shoot. Shaq could never shoot, but he could certainly handle and run. Of course, as he gets older in LA, he just turns into a 350-pound tank that sits under the basket and dominates that way. But really cool to watch him as a young guy when he had that level of athleticism. You see what a freak he was coming into the NBA that way. I was reading, this could be wrong, that he met Penny Hardaway through this movie and then he told the Magic get this kid, draft him for our team. And then they got to the NBA Finals, what was it, a year or two later? Yeah. The year that Michael came back, I'm back, after he <laughs> had his suspension, but then came back to playing. No, he's playing baseball, and then he's suspended. I believe that story. But I'm retiring. I really want to play baseball. Yeah, I'm 30 so years old, badly. the height of my basketball talent. <laughs> Minor leagues, here I come. But when Michael came back, he only played part of that season, and it was the Magic that knocked him out of the playoffs and then played, it might have been Houston. Yeah, Houston played... Yeah, it was one of Olajuwon's back-to-back. It was the Knicks, and then it was the Magic, or maybe it was the Magic, then the Knicks. That was the year, I remember watching those playoffs and thinking, this is the year the Magic will win, because how the hell do you lose if you've got Shaq and Hardaway on the floor at the same time? It's sad that Hardaway had such a injury-riddled career, because that guy could have been a lock, mm. Hall of Fame kind of player himself. But... There's a nice touch with this character in this, by the way. I and mean, I think he's fine, too. He's not bad by any means. Yeah, we didn't really talk about He gets about homesick, Butch. though. Yeah. He wants to go home. It's an interesting little spin and maybe commentary by driving this behavior underground. You really harm the kids more than anybody. You're right. He's homesick. He wants to go home. He wants to look after his sister and and be with his mom. But he asks the coach, if I go home, what's going to happen to my mom's house and her job that you got her? And she's going to lose it all. Whereas if it were all above board and legal and the schools were just allowed to pay to recruit the players, then, okay, well, here's $10,000 in your pocket. That's yours. Do what you want with it. Presumably there's a contract involved, like you got to play a year or something, but it's not shrouded in darkness kind of thing. There's presumably... It's not like a drug deal. That's the saddest thing about the whole thing, is you see the position a kid like Butch in this movie is put in between what he actually wants and what's good for him, probably, and what he's forced to do just because he cares about his mom. I did like that Bell finds Neon in what is effectively an underground game, kind of like the stuff in Lionheart. We made that an MMA movie, we jammed it into that slot... (laughs) <laughs> and Nick Nolte, who was in Warrior, Oscar nominated for that, in fact. We gotta do that. An absolute MMA movie. We will do that one day. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, there was underground fights in that movie. That's the whole point. And then he finds Neon playing an underground game. And not even in high school, I guess. Not even any kind of known athlete. He just stumbles across them. Yeah, it's just a street and says, game. Let's get them. Kind of like the street games in White Men Can't Jump. Street hustling, I guess, to a certain extent. And I think originally, I don't know if it's because of Shaq or because they spun white men can't jump off into its own movie i think shelton wanted that game that whole thing of this player before it was ever shack but this player is going to be found and recruited off the streets of compton 
and turned into Louisiana, which makes sense because I think Shaq is from Louisiana. Play for LSU, at least. Okay, well, I can't do Compton in this movie. I'm going to write a whole other movie that's about street games in Compton and L.A. and that whole beach scene. It became its own thing, and its own thing that was way more popular and probably way more well done than the original we thing. We said it last year. Very funny still. After all the times I've seen it, many times I've seen it, I still laughed my head off at that movie last year, and I still enjoy it immensely. That's the biggest difference between... I love Bull Durham, but I think that might have been his most pure, enjoyable movie. Well, Bull Durham's right with her with it, let's put it that way. And Tin Cup certainly is very good, too. The biggest difference between that movie and this one, as far as Ron Shelton basketball movies go, is you wouldn't want to rewatch this, but I take it if you were just like yeah. cruising the channels Could and saw White Men Can't Jump, you would watch that in a second, Oh, right? definitely. Yeah, so. I will willingly watch that again before too long, I'm sure. We've talked in depth about, I think, a lot of the sub-elements of this movie, but the biggest measure of a movie is whether or not you would actually want to see it again. Right? That's like, very I think true. That's what it comes down to. That or would you recommend it to a friend? Yeah, that's exactly. That's another way to Which put it. Which is what Siskel and Ebert effectively doing with their thumbs up, thumbs down all those years. Unless somebody said, hey, Chris, can you give me a movie that addresses the NCAA compensation issue? In which case, I'd be like, yeah, Blue Chips, no problem. Or specifically, can you tell me Shaq's best movie appearance, which also was probably this. <laughs> it's not Steel. He's played himself a lot in movies, Sure as hell ain't Kazam. Look either. at his resume. It's Shaquille O'Neal over and over again. And oh, yeah, of a lot of cameos. Steel and Kazam, yeah, but not yeah. good on those. But if somebody said, can you recommend a basketball movie? I don't think it's going to be Blue Chips. It's going to be a heck of a lot of other movies first, right? And we think we're going to cover He Got Game sometime next year, right? You mentioned that one. I thought we have to do He Got Game. We That's got an it. underrated film. Spike Lee, one of his better films. Not one of his two or three, but probably in his top five or ten at least. And features... Another basketball player. Yeah, one of those two starring roles. Ray, Ray Allen. Allen. Yeah. Denzel as well. Sweet stroke. Well, that's a nice setup for next week's movie, because we're going to cover Denzel film. On November 28th, we'll get back in the boxing ring for the first time since July. Not that long, I guess. And we'll see what Denzel <laughs> Washington has to show us about the sweet science in The Hurricane. Interestingly, this movie, Blue Chips, was really more about the behind-the-scenes stuff in basketball. There was action, but not that much. As I remember the hurricane, haven't seen it in 20 years, but that's more about justice and the prison reform system than oh, yeah. it is about boxing. Yeah, but yeah. still, boxing's in it, so it counts. And we haven't covered Denzel. I don't think you and I have. Beba and I haven't covered him that no. much. And he's one of the great actors of all time. And he's done a fair number of sports movies. What was his football movie? Remember the Titans? Yes, he's the coach in that. We'll cover that one maybe next year because it'll be 20 years old. Interesting that we haven't touched on him yet, but like you said, we'll get there. Well, we will in two weeks. Very shortly. <laughs> With the hurricane. Before we get back to JCVD Part 2 in... Kickboxer. Well, Bloodsport, I guess. Or Bloodsport. Maybe we'll watch that. I wouldn't be against the idea of it in a year or two. <laughs> Not right now. Hey, I like the guy more than I thought I would. I said that two weeks ago. I thought I was going to hate that movie. Didn't. You just need a decompression period of a year or two before you get I never back thought in. I'd be saying at this point that between the two films, Lionheart and Blue Chips, that I like Lionheart more. But I did. Then my job here is done. I'll be curious if Hurricane is better than either one of them. Okay, we're on Twitter. He is at Scoring at Movies. I am at MovieFiend51. We're on Stitcher and Spotify and Apple Podcasts under Top 100 Project. The whole channel has got well over 300 podcasts now. Chris and I will have 38 after this one. Bev and I have over 300. I forget what the number is now. I should look. I think it's 350 or so on the channel. Not bad after Damn. all this time. Six and a half years of this and a year and a half for you and I. And of course, Top9Project.com. So I'm pretty much like your side piece at this point, your long-term side thing. Ben isn't home, so <laughs> dogs, go to your room. That's why you invited me to come over tonight. That sounds like a good place to end it, so there you go. take her easy, dudes. I know that so well. Oh, I, I sound more like the guy in Men in Black than I did Nick Nolte. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really worked on a Nick Nolte impression before. Got to put the shack in there. Take her easy, dudes. I know that you will. That'll work. That was not a good shack. Damn it, he's hard. <laughs>